Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Episode number three of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Mathewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we'll talk about Kyle Lewis getting traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll take a look at the free agent profile of former Dodgers shortstop Trey Turner. We'll take a look around baseball with the MLB wraparound. Gio Urshela traded to the American League West. He's now a Los Angeles Angel. And then we'll finish up the episode with Speak Your Mind. With that, let's get rolling. And we welcome you into episode number three of the Marine Layer podcast. TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein on a gloomy Thanksgiving week, two days before Thanksgiving. Looking forward to Thanksgiving uh, coming up here in a couple of weeks. Before we get into baseball, it just feels so much better being a champion, Lyle, being on top of everything. I I think from up here, saying that you won something like winning a college fantasy championship, I think it means so much more sitting here today, being able to say I'm number one. I'm so tired of losing in this league. One. I'm so tired of losing in this league. Every year, my top scorer does not play in the round that I lose in the playoffs. Every year. I'm tired of it. It's awful. Fantasy football is difficult. College fantasy, when you don't know injuries, I was, you know, I cover Oregon State for those listening who aren't aware. And it's rivalry week. And I'm listening to Dan Lanning of the Oregon Ducks today talk about injuries. And he's the sort of guy who will just, he won't say anything. He'll just say, someone will ask him something, he'll just shake his head. That's it. So it just makes it a lot more difficult, different than the NFL, regardless. uh, Lyle on the podium, but in second place, unfortunately. Stinks to be that way. One of these years. I think you might break through, dog. Let's get to the baseball on this edition of the Marine Lair podcast. Last week, Kyle Lewis traded to the Arizona Diamondbacks. The 2020 American League Rookie of the Year is no longer a Seattle Mariner. I'm really bummed to see Kyle go. Great guy, always smiling, went healthy. Was that guy on this roster that you really wanted to tune in and watch? I remember during that 2020 season, I always wanted to flip on the Mariner game, even though I didn't really want the Mariners to win that year. I wanted to watch Kyle Lewis. He made the game a lot more fun when he was on, when he was hitting home runs, when he was playing well in center field. And it's unfortunate to see his Mariners career go out this way. Kyle Lewis is such an easy guy to root for. He works so hard. He truly cares. You could tell changing the culture in Seattle meant something to him. He desperately wanted to be a part of that, along with the fact he's just been through so much in his career with all the injuries, specifically to that knee. But that being said, I think it was just time for a change on both sides. It was. And you could tell from what they got for him. Uh, 
I think, rookie, technically, 28-year-old outfielder Cooper Hummel, who's a catcher and an outfielder. We'll talk about him a little bit. But you could see where that's the kind of value they got for Kyle Lewis. I would imagine his value around the league wasn't too high for a guy coming off a season in 18 games, hit just 143, 226, 304, a 54 OPS plus, 56 WRC plus, and hit just three home runs. Those three home runs all coming in an early stint in the year before he got a concussion. And then he comes back and was just bad. He was bad. Do you remember him trying to run around in the outfield for the couple games they put him out there? It was bad. It was hard to watch. He couldn't move. No. From a baseball perspective, of course you just want the guy to do well, and we're going to do nothing but wish him the best. But if you're just looking objectively, this guy has chronic, borderline, non-repairable knee issues in that knee, and it's hard to imagine he's going to be anything much more than a DH at this point. I'm sure Arizona's going to give him the chance to start and play the outfield, but it's just hard to imagine he can really endure a full season out there. And it's good for Kyle that the new rules came into place where all 30 teams now have a DH opposed to just the American League. Otherwise, it would have probably been even harder to trade Kyle right now. And it sounded like this was a relationship that needed to end. We don't know all the insight, but the relationship seemed to have soured between the two sides on the Mariners side. Them not really happy maybe with his rehab process and how he's dealing with the injury and sort of just frustrated that he's not getting better. And Kyle on the other side saying, well, maybe being more precautionary than the Mariners wanted to, which would lead him to getting traded and would kind of make sense because you and I were talking when he got sent down in the middle of the season to AAA. Why wasn't he playing? He was healthy, quote unquote, but he wasn't playing down in Tacoma for weeks, it seemed like, until he got into a couple of games towards the end of the year, but didn't didn't really do that well when he was in Tacoma either. Do you remember how much disconnect and miscommunication there seemed to be between front office and player on Kyle Lewis's whole recovery from this knee injury? Because if you remember, leading up to the start of the 2022 season, you listen to people like Ryan Divish talk about how, yeah, he just doesn't really want to talk about this injury. In fact, he won't talk about it. We've asked him, but he right. won't say anything. Then you'd listen to Jerry Depoto on the radio or during interviews. He'd get asked questions like, hey, what's the status of Kyle Lewis? And Jerry would say things like, well, he's got a very specific group of people around him. He, he works with specific doctors and trainers. It's kind of in Kyle's court, which was always a little weird that the president of baseball operations didn't seem to know exactly where his progression was. And that kind of signaled maybe there was some disconnect. Yeah. And another thing to think about with this roster, we had this question at the end of the offseason, like, where was he fitting on the roster? Here are the, the, the outfielders currently on the Mariners roster right now. Julio, Jared Kelnick, Teoscar Hernandez, Sam Haggerty, Jesse Winker. Wow. Which outfielder would he make it on the roster over? That's not even throwing in Dylan Moore. He, right. Yeah, exactly. There's not really a spot, especially for a guy that doesn't seem like he's going to play the field much anymore. I know people don't like using the word logjam, especially people on Mariners Twitter when you talk about the Mariners outfield. But when you're talking about Kyle Lewis, he is down on that depth chart. So, yeah, it, it makes sense. They wanted to send him to a place where he could get a fresh start. And who, who knows? Maybe Cooper Hummel can turn into something. 
And there's some interesting things on Cooper Hummel, especially while his walk rate, he had a really good walk rate. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Mariners traded for him in the first place. If you look at his projections, Fangraphs does their projections towards every season, despite Hummel scuffling this year in his about 60 games of major league playing time, he slugged just 307, hit just 176 with a 65 WRC plus. He had a walk rate of nearly 12%. And, you know, for a guy who doesn't hit very well, it's kind of impressive that you're still able to manage a walk rate like that when you're somewhat of an easy out. He walked at a high rate through every level of the minor leagues. He also hit at every level of the minor leagues. So, sure, he didn't hit great in his first big league stint, but there's a lot of time in front of him. So it's encouraging to see that he walks a lot. I'm sure the Mariners like that. It's encouraging to see that he can hit. And with his versatility, you never know what he might become. And in AAA, he hit in a very favorable AAA environment. The Angels, or sorry, the Diamondbacks AAA affiliate plays in Reno. Reno is at elevation. They're, I think, over a mile above sea level, higher than Denver, probably up near where Mexico City, a Monday night football yesterday. I believe Mexico City's at, I think six or 9,000 feet. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but it, it is high up there. It's above Denver. Reno's in the same ballpark in terms of a hitter's environment. That that environment really encompasses what the PCL is of just a hitter's paradise. And Cooper Hummel really did well in there at a 138 WRC plus and walked 15% of the time for Reno. So you like that. There's things you like. And I, there's this quote that stood out to me when looking at looking up Cooper Hummel. So obviously we didn't know a whole lot about him saying Kyle Lewis's value is probably about as low as it could possibly be trading for a guy who's maybe not even on your 40 man entering spring training. We'll have to see. We don't even know if he'll make the 26 man roster. We don't have any idea about that, but the quote I, uh, I laughed at analysts love him and scouts don't, which I think is really funny because it kind of relates back to how our friend group talks about baseball but essentially liking his at-bats, but hating his swing, per se. Like like scouts, the knock on him when he came out of the University of Portland was they didn't really like his swing, but his approach was good. Now, it's kind of a balancing act, because if your swing sucks, then you're not going to make a big league roster, and you're not going to succeed in the big leagues, as you know it showed this year, but maybe there's something there Jerry likes. Kevin Euclid didn't have a good swing. They no, call him he didn't. Re- the Greek god of walks worked yeah. out for him. Man, who else had a terrible swing? Um, man, there's got to be some I could think of. Well, there's plenty of Mariners who had terrible swings because this franchise has <laughs> stunk forever. Mike Sanino's swing wasn't very good, but he still hit a lot of home runs. What about it's Craig like, Council? It's not the be-all, end-all. How about Craig Council? Yeah, his swing wasn't great. But it, it was like unique, though. He was also an on-base guy, was he not? And a higher yeah. average guy. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It, baseball is a very unique sport. Fat people like Dan Vogelback can play the game as well as ultra athletes like Julio. I mean, <laughs> that's what it is. It's a it's a, it's a unique sport. But regardless, I I just want to go back. I feel so bad for Kyle Lewis. I feel I ho- I wish him all the best, but I just don't like how his health was trending. I don't like the, how the relationship with the Mariners was trending. There's power in that bat. I mean, this guy plays, let's say he hits for a a league average. He makes contact at a league average rate and doesn't strike out too much. 
there's 30 homer power in that bat if he plays a full season, like 100%, especially playing in that ballpark that is 1,000 feet of elevation. We're speaking of elevation, Chase Field in Phoenix at elevation as well. Good hitters environment for him. Hope he gets some sunshine while he's down there. Emotionally, it can be tough and draining, but logically... In most people's heads, I think this move made sense. La- yeah. Last thing on Cooper Hummel before we transition, I think the most important thing here too. Guy's a huge Mariner fan. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. I saw that. Yeah, that was funny. The, so they were, the Mariner's Twitter was digging up tweets of his from fourteen. I think his words for Brad Miller was superstar, which is just which is funny. <laughs> yeah, uh. I think his exact words were. Uh, I guess I can't quote him perfectly. It was something along the lines of. If you're jumping on the Brad Miller bandwagon now, you're a fake Mariner fan. Hashtag he's elite or something along those lines, which to be fair, Brad Miller was really good early on in his career. That's yeah, that's so funny because uh, I'm trying to see if I can do a quick find of it. I don't think I can find it. However, what's funny is I remember saying the same thing back in that 2013 season. Me, my dad, my brother sat around a table and we we talked about this. Okay. Who's going to make the all-star game first? Brad Miller, Nick Franklin, or Kyle Seeger? I can't remember which one I took, but it, it seems like Cooper was having the same discussions about that that trio of Kyle Good, the other ones pretty bad infielders for the Mariners in 2013, which is funny. So I can officially say one of us, one of us. So that's good to see for Cooper Hummel. Glad he is back home at T-Mobile Park, per se. Jerry DePoto loves to bring in these local guys that are Mariner fans. Matt Boyd was on the roster in 2022. Jake Lamb was on the roster for a little bit. Steven Souza. Now Cooper Hummel. So it's always nice to have some Mariner ties. But those guys are all local. I'll tell you a guy who's not very local, though, TJ. That's Trey Turner. As we transition into our free agent profile for this week, we're going to focus on the now former Dodgers shortstop, who's been one of the best players in baseball, Throughout really the last four seasons, he's about as far away from the Pacific Northwest as you can get in terms of where he grew up because he's from Florida. That being said, I'd say just about everybody in baseball is interested in his services. The Mariners have, as reported, checked in on him. Now, that could mean a whole variety of things, but say they're really serious about him. How does he fit this team? He could fit in a number of ways. I think the number one fit, which I thought was interesting when I was looking at this, you know, he didn't actually hit leadoff for a majority of his games as a Dodger last year. He hit second and third more times than he did hit first. But I I see him here as a potential leadoff hitter for the Mariners, which is why, you know, you don't want to lock guys into a spot. But the guy is as fast as possible. He had a success rate on stolen bases last year, 90%. He was 27 of 30 on stolen bases last year. Not the biggest on-base guy, but it'll hit for a high average, mostly because of that speed. His speed is Julio level, but faster, right? And Julio we talk about all the time because he's essentially a cyborg. But Trey is just fast, and he's fast for a nearly 30-year-old guy. So that's that's interesting. I do have the breakdown here uh, of Turner in batting spots this year. Only 23 games in the leadoff spot for the Dodgers. Who did they lead off instead? Do you remember? It was it was Mookie. So what I'm oh, thinking right. well, is <laughs> that's a pretty good yeah, I'll say that's a pretty good alternative. 
So but it's kind of the same idea where if the Mariners were to sign him, you don't necessarily have to hit Trey Turner leadoff. Just how Mookie and Trey hit one two in LA, it could be Julio Trey one two in Seattle with Julio staying in the number one spot. Right. And it would make sense. If you look at Trey's slash line, 298, 343, 466, 39 doubles, 21 home runs, a 121 OPS plus, 128 WRC plus in 2022. But he really made his money last year, Lyle, when he got traded with Max Scherzer over to the Dodgers. He hit this... Mine is just boggling. 328, 375, 536 for, you know, a smaller guy. Nearly seven wins from Fangraphs. 142 WRC plus, 32 of 37 stolen bases. And was a real big key the last two seasons for two of the best Dodger teams that franchise has ever had. I know they didn't win a championship, but they won more games and were more elite in more spots than Lots of teams that have won championships in baseball history. And Trey Turner was a big part of that. Just mind-boggling to think Corey Seager and him shared an infield. And you have the luxury of picking one of the two. Alas, the Mariners do have an opportunity here to make him one of two there in the middle of the diamond. You know what I love Trey about Trey Turner more than, honestly, almost any number you can throw at me? There cannot be a person with a smoother slide on the face of the earth. No way. There really yeah. can't. <laughs> no way. He's great. The, I, I love the little niche that Major League Baseball has dug out of just posting his slides. For as many things as the Dodgers are already elite at, they could really put together an all-smooth MLB team with Cody yeah. Bellinger's swing when he's clicking, Bruzdar Gratterall's like, effortless ability to throw 102, and then Trey Turner's slide. It's, I mean, Cody and Trey now currently are not Dodgers, but for a long time, man, those guys are fun to watch for a lot of reasons. But yeah, Trey has, Trey has an opportunity to kind of pick where he wants to go here. I'd say he's the most sought after free agent in this class, maybe other than Aaron Judge. I would agree. I think a lot of it is flash. We could, you know, we could spend a whole episode thinking of which free agent is actually the most valuable. But I think Trey just has like a lot of fits and a lot of things that teams value a lot. You mentioned his slide. There are some really good numbers that David Alder of MLB.com dug up about his sprint speed. First of all, he is by far the fastest base runner of any of these 2022 free agents. Trey is at number one over 30 feet per second. A note, 30 feet per second is elite, and he's at 30.3 on the sprint speed in 2022. Nimmo's at 28.7. Stansby is at 28.4. Xander is at 27.9, et cetera, et cetera. So easily the fastest guy there. And then it's not just speed where he gets, you know, sprint out of the batter's box and get all the way to second base where he gets, you know, 120, 180 feet to speed up. He's also a big short burst quickness guy. Most stolen bases in 2022 with a 30 feet per second sprint speed, meaning just in the span between first and second or second and third. The Mariners, if they sign Trey Turner, would have the top two guys on this list. Trey had eight. Julio had four. So I think that that's a really fun number as well. And then a couple more. You know, if you talk about hits with an elite sprint speed over 30, Trey led the way with 34. And then if you look at the last three seasons, Trey led the way uh, with 77 total hits of that variety. 
speed, 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 speed. We saw the difference, Lyle, this year when the Mariners were able to deploy their two best base runners and two of their faster guys, Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore, in late game situations on the base paths. And it really helps a team that plays as many close games as the Mariners do to manage their guys on the base paths and get in those runs when they need to. Now, if you can get a guy like that to complement Julio in the lineup every single day that you don't have to rely upon to come off the bench, I think that adds value right there. When you looked at everyday starters with this Mariners team that were really good base dealers, it was really just Julio. And if you want to throw in Sam Haggerty and Dylan Moore, you can, although those guys long-term are probably utility players. There are good athletes on this team. JP's a good athlete. He's not much of a base dealer. I still think Kelnick can be a base dealer. But there's not many shoe-in base dealers on this team other than Julio. Now, you throw Trey Turner into this lineup, and you have those guys at the top of the lineup, not just with their power, but with their speed. They'd have to be on a Mount Rushmore of table setters in baseball, right? There can't be many other one-two punches in Major League Baseball that would be better than those two. Right. And if you look at it, Fangraphs loves his base running. I mean, they love it. He had a base running runs was worth six and a half this year, which is his highest mark since he was a national in 2019 and won a World Series in that. So I, I just I love that part of Trey Turner's game because I think it's unique opposed to the other shortstops in this class where we would look at it's like, okay, we want a guy that will be out there playing short and slugging the ball. Meanwhile, with Trey, it's like there's a completely different section of his game that is completely unique to the other four shortstops. And I think that's what makes it very intriguing and why he's probably the most sought after free agent. If the Mariners were to pay him like a shortstop, but had him play second base, do you think he'd agree to come and play in Seattle? And I ask that because Trey Turner actually profiles better as a second baseman than he does as a shortstop. His defensive runs saved are much better at second base than at short. Most of his best defensive seasons at the sixth spot came in 2018 and 2019. The last couple of years, he's been okay. He hasn't been elite, where I think the Mariners really want to keep J.P. Crawford at short and will bank on his glove to bounce back. So do you think he'd play second base if they pay him like a shortstop? Maybe. Mike, the caveat is it's well known he wants to be on the East Coast. He's from Florida. He went to college at NC State. He grew up as a big leaguer in Washington, D.C. Seattle's about as far away from Florida as you could possibly get, as we know. It's it is hard to get free agents to come here, and it's especially hard to get East Coasters who were born in Florida, grew up in Florida to get all the way to the Pacific Northwest. That's a difficult ask. However, if you just ask about a fit, yes, why not? So there's a couple things to look at with Trey and why he's a better fit at second base. He was 80th percentile and outs above average last year. But Lyle, where did he play last year when he got traded to the Dodgers? Last year, he was at second base because Corey Seager right. played short. Exactly. So that helped. But then they move him to short this year. He was 47th percentile at shortstop. And maybe it's not all about his speed and his fundamentals. He doesn't have a great arm. You don't need to have a great arm to be a great shortstop. But if you watch enough Andrelton Simmons highlights, you know, it, it definitely helps. So you can bail yourself out of a, some terrible footwork. 
a ball ranging too deep in the hole at shortstop, turn around and you can just sort of flick your wrist and the ball will sail 90 miles an hour to first base. He doesn't have that luxury. Could you convince him to play second base? Maybe. Would you have to drastically overpay to get him to second base? Perhaps. But that's all. That's a good question. That's why we talk about it here on this podcast. I think you may have to drastically overpay just to get him to Seattle for all the reasons you mentioned. It is just hard to get guys, even with the team improving as much as they have, up to the Pacific Northwest and as far away from the East Coast as you could possibly imagine. It is. And a couple other things, Lyle, if we want to go back to his to his hitting, because uh, Trey's defense, again, it's fine. It's not bad enough where we're sitting here spending 15 minutes talking about Xander Bogarts shifted over into second base because I don't there's not really that distinction with Trey Turner. But we do know that it is possible for a guy who highlights his speed as he ages with a poor arm. It could that could deteriorate as well. And that's sort of the gamble you take when you go with free agents is they get older much faster than if you just trade for somebody. But back to his bat profile, a couple interesting things I see here, Lyle. He swung more this year than he ever had in his career before. His chase rate and his whiff rate, um, his chase, sorry, swing more in the strike zone more than he ever has. But his chase rate at in the 39th percentile this year was not great. His swing percentage in the zone, Fangraphs provides these numbers. I love that they have these numbers because I think it really helps break down the profile of a hitter. So outside the zone this year, O swing percentage, swinging outside of the zone, Trey Turner swung a career-high 36% of the time, up from 30% last year and 29% in 2020. But he also swung at more pitches in the zone to a career high 74.5%, which I thought was interesting. And I'm not sure really what to make of that. I, I know more to what, what to make of the outside the zone swing percentage more than in the zone. In the zone shows me a more mature hitter who can see the ball better. Outside the zone, though, just a little troubling, especially for a guy who doesn't walk much. You're making us all smarter with these numbers, TJ. I'll tell you, though, if you were a boomer, I'd expect you to sit here and say, well, he should just lay down bunts instead. (laughs) To be fair, if there's one guy that I will advocate that could bunt the ball and get away with it, it'd probably be Trey Turner. He's, He's fast enough to make up for it. He is, but again, let's not take away from the power he has. Do you want to be taking that bat out of his hands? No, no, you don't. In the right opportunity, I would be okay with it. But you're right. The guy has legitimate power, legitimate power. Slugged over 500 last year in a full season. In a down offensive environment, he hit, he slugged 530. So that's not something that you just find on your everyday speedy shortstop. That that doesn't grow on trees. So that, that would be a good part. And, if the Mariners somehow sign him, offer him what, however much he wants and stick him either at second or short, and he's still slugging 30 home runs at T-Mobile Park, I'll take it. I'm, I'm going to hold off here on, on going to the MLB wraparound while I look at what his home runs would have been 
in T-Mobile Park this year. Uh, Again, last year, 26 home runs, but Baseball Savant does a great job of breaking down home runs by ballpark. I just need to find it here really quick. And in Seattle this year, he would have hit the exact same amount of home runs as he would have hit in Dodger Stadium. In fact, so he hit 26 homers last year. No, sorry, 21 home runs. I got that number messed up this year. However, if he were to hit in Dodger Stadium for all 162 games, he would have only hit 23 home runs, as opposed to he would have hit 26 if he played all 162 in T-Mobile Park. So maybe it wouldn't be as difficult as an offensive environment shift as it would have, as we talked about with Xander Bogarts last week. So that'll be something to think about as the Trey Turner discourse mulls along here in the offseason. Let's change gears and take a look around baseball with some rumors and signings and trades with the MLB Wraparound. So on the MLB Wraparound this week, a we're going to start with a rumor. Now, it is this point of the offseason where I think rumors have some merit and some don't. There was a rumor that in the same Trey Turner-Max Scherzer trade to the Dodgers, that Max Scherzer was assured to be a San Diego Padre. And that didn't happen. Instead, he was a Dodger. Now, there is a rumor out there. Joel Sherman of the New York Post suggested the Mariners, Lyle, have inquired about the availability of New York Yankees second baseman Glaber Torres. I raised my eyebrow at this at first, but I'm honestly, after doing some research, intrigued by this. I am too. I mean, look, this guy had a four-win season this past year. He had a nice bounce-back year. Compared to what the Mariners had at second base this past season production-wise, it's night and day. I don't know what the package is going to be to have to get Glaber Torres, but Glaber Torres as the player who started to swing the bat better last year. He profiles great defensively at second base. Yeah, I'm intrigued. He's an interesting sort of guy at second base. His defense at second is hit or miss. It's been up and down. So career at shortstop, a negative 24 defensive runs saved. But this past year was plus nine at shortstop or sorry, at second base uh, ranking. So his nine defensive runs saved this year ranked fifth among 29 second basemen with at least five, at least 500 innings at that position. That was a, a big improvement from his earlier years. But if you look at his defensive run save breakdown, it's, you know, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. So it's been kind of inconsistent, but when he's played at second base, uh, over the you know accumulation of his career, he has been an average fielding second baseman. But his bat, you know, there there could be some play here too in his bat. It, it could fall off a little bit at T-Mobile Mobile Park. But there was only allowed one second baseman, Brendan Rogers, who hit the ball harder than him on average last year. His hard hit rate was right at 45 percent, uh, and Bre- Brendan Rogers uh, was just a hair over that. So that I liked because. I look at Glaber Torres, doesn't seem like a guy who hits the ball too hard, especially with the the downer offensive environment, but he did. That's a guy that could profile well, even if he transitions out of the bam, the BAM box that's Yankee Stadium and into what's more of a pitcher-friendly park like T-Mobile Park. So the hard hit rate's good to see. The plus defense at second base is certainly good to see. Now, before 
we finish this segment up here, I got to throw out a proposal here if we're talking Glaber Torres mm-hmm. trades. So how about this? The Mariners <laughs> get Glaber Torres and the Yankees get Jesse Winker. Well, that sounds great to me, but I don't know how you're going to convince Brian Cashman to do that. I know they need an outfielder. I know they need a lefty outfielder. But man, I like two Glaber still has two years of control left. So he has this year and next year of control. I like your idea, though. If we're talking smart dealing, I actually kind of like that. My one thing with Glaber Torres that we have talked about, not on this podcast, is how much of a product his early career success was of the juiced ball. Listen to these splits from 2018 and 2019 and then the three seasons after that. In the first two seasons, he slugged 511, a WRC plus of 123, the three seasons after that, a WRC plus of 106, slugging barely over 400. And it gets even starker. In the last two years, away from Yankee Stadium, Gleyber Torres has just 10 home runs and slugged 383. So, digest that, Lyle. Yeah, I mean, there's cause for concern. He's not the perfect player. It, by the way, if people didn't pick up on the gist that I was kind of throwing out there with the Jesse Winker trade, it was proposed on MLB Network this week that the Yankees would give up Glaber Torres for Jesse Winker. And you and I saw that and we're like, sign, deliver this second. Like, this second. I forget the guy's name who proposed that. I'm not... I'm not sure. Is he a Yankee guy? Is he a Met guy trying to troll? Or was he actually dead serious? Because I'm not. I, it would take more than that. Right. Glaber Torres still has some value and he's got two years of control. Jesse Winker's value really couldn't be any lower than it is right now. The, a guy who is not, not hurt, not chronically hurt like Kyle Lewis. But you literally can't play that guy in the outfield. You cannot do it. <laughs> I'm I'm literally I have PTSD. I'll have PTSD for the next decade of my life from watching Jesse Winker in the outfield this year. Yeah, like I I didn't think it could get worse than watching guys like Mark Trumbo and Raul Labanez out there, but man, <laughs> I it, it was it was closer than you could think. Uh, don't forget about Ricky Weeks dropping pop flies in left oh, field either. An all time moment. I oh I remember that clear as day. I, I fell on the floor and that that was that, oh, that was great. Ricky, you you piece of shit. It's just it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. So impressively maybe, bad, Ricky. Impressively bad. Maybe the Yankees thought is that Jesse Winker playing left field in New York would be similar to Cincinnati, where any ball that goes over his head is basically a home run. But regardless, I still really wouldn't want him out in left field. So yeah, that was just one trade that was thrown out there this week. We'll see what happens with Clayton Torres. Now to, now to break in here, dog. I know there's not in in his defense. There's not a more forgiving crowd out there than the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. So <laughs> if he messes up, he'll be forgiven. I know that. They'll just write him notes of endearment. We believe in you. Yeah, yeah thanks for trying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you need a hug. Free hugs, Jesse. We have you. We'll we'll support you here. Just just ask Joey Gallo. But to move on here, our next topic on the MLB wraparound, there was an actual trade that was made this week in Major League Baseball. Gio Urshela, who comes off a good year in Minnesota, gets traded to the Angels. So the Angels add another bat to their lineup. The catch here, 
is that with Anthony Rendon already locking down third base, the Angels reportedly want Gio Urshela to play shortstop. So they may have just found their new shortstop for the 2023 season. And it's not a guy that exactly profiles like Andrelton Simmons did. No, no, he doesn't have the arm, doesn't have the range. He will hit. There's one thing the Angels did right with this trade. They got a guy who can hit. He's got a little power. And most importantly, he doesn't strike out. So he's got a he had a 17% strikeout rate last year. The Angels had a league worst 25% strikeout rate as a team last year. So Urshela, a guy who you can stick in the lineup and hit and not strike out, which is really what they needed. Now, you're right. I wish they would have maybe... They, they're obviously going for bat over pers, pers, <clears throat> positional fit here. Because we look at his breakdown. Uh, so Perry Manation, the the general manager of the of the Angels said he's going to split time between third, first, short, second, and outfield. So do just about everything. He doesn't, I don't think he's ever played in the outfield. He's played seven career innings at first. He has played 23 and two-third innings at shortstop. In the plus, I mean, if he does eventually play third, he's he's a plus defender in his career, four defensive runs saved at third base. But let's remember, Rendon, you're right. He's got four years left on his contract, playing third. And guess who plays every day in, at designated hitter? Shohei. So I, I think that's a, a, a curious thing to look at. Again, I don't hate the trade the more I looked into it, but the defensive positioning makes me chuckle a little bit. The Angels gave up a minor league pitcher that's pretty far away from the big leagues, so it makes sense if they're trying to win now and do anything possible in a last-stitched effort to keep Shohei happy. But this is going to have some ups and downs, to put it lightly, especially since Rochelle's never played the outfield. He doesn't profile well at short. It'll be an experiment. Let's put it that way. He'll hit, but his defense is going to be a project. We just say they're not targeting defense with this trade, which is fine. I mean, they had Andrelton Simmons. They weren't targeting for offense for a while, and that didn't really work out. So I think they can uh, they could balance it out a little bit with uh, with with some hitting as well. I liked you, Rochelle, as a player. He had a great year in 2019 as a Yankee, and he had a really good year with Minnesota this past season. He's in the division now, so we'll have to root against him. But I'm curious to see how he will do there in... Anaheim, not Los Angeles, Orange County, Anaheim. So let's remember that. We'll make sure that's straight. Final topic here on the wraparound, while the Mets speaking to Justin Verlander as a plan B for Jacob deGrom. Eyebrow raise because I see this and I say, well, they're going to ask for the same price. So why don't you just pay deGrom? Now, deGrom might not, might not want to go back to New York. We don't know. Keep seeing the Texas Rangers floated around there. I'm going to be pissed if that's the case. <laughs> but I thought that was interesting because giving a 40-year-old, which Justin Verlander will be next season, the $43 million he's going to be asked for, probably 44, uh, seems suspect. Look, it's pretty cool what Justin Verlander proved this year. He comes back from Tommy John. He has arguably the best season of his career. He wins the Cy Young wins a World Series. I mean, it was a resurgent year and then some. 
That being said, he reportedly is looking for a similar deal to what Max Scherzer got. Sorry, I'm not paying a 40-year-old $45 million a year or the $43 million that Max Scherzer got. No thanks. Not happening. I know Steve Cohen will spend all the money in the world, but you want to pay a pitcher? Just do what it takes to bring DeGrom back. I'm not paying a 40-year-old $43 million bucks. So would you rather pay DeGrom maybe the $50 million he asks for or Justin Verlander 43 DeGrom. I mean, he's just way younger. I know he's had injury problems, but he's still way younger. And I think DeGrom's injury problems are honestly a little overrated. Opposed to these last two seasons, he has been about as healthy as they get. (laughs) Like, like, sure, he was hurt this year again, but just go look back. I mean, he, he did not miss time. He was a workhorse when he won his first, uh, first two Cy Youngs. I mean, he was great. So I, you're right. I, w- I would overpay for Jacob DeGrom to keep him in New York opposed to signing Verlander because we see it with Tom Brady in the NFL. Father time is undefeated. It does not matter how good you look as you age. You could age better than other people, but you will drop off. And it, and it usually is hard, very hard. And the last thing you want to do is pay a 40-year-old $44 million. The contract for Scherzer was three years, $130 million. Verlander going to ask for three years? How do you say yes to that? How do you do it? I, I, I just can't imagine a world where you pay a 40-year-old a, a three-year contract. There's just no, no way, no way at all. One final thing before we move on to speak your mind here. I know we didn't talk about this beforehand, but this has just been itching at me for days now. I got to ask you, have you seen this as Drupal Cabrera video? Uh, I did. I need. I need to rewatch it. Okay, so for people that are still craving baseball, there's winter league action going on right now. A guy hits a huge home run. He flips his bat way into the air. He's jogging down to first base. Pitcher's not happy. And as as Drew Cabrera, this fucking guy, as he's watching the runner round first, just left hook with full strength right to the player. <laughs> bench is clear brawl ensues i'm thinking to myself like what in the world is this guy doing i mean he has to be a huge baseball boomer much to some of our friends happiness i'm sure yeah but this guy has to i mean be anti-backflip and you know play the game with a blue collar right way because how do you have the presence of mind to throw a left hook at somebody for flipping your bat and it's winter league. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. The the games kind of count. I don't know how much the guys get paid to play in that league. But yeah, that video was absolutely crazy. I would absolutely lose it if <laughs> if a guy in the big leagues decided as a first baseman just to throw a left hook at a guy rounding first base. I think that would be hilarious. It would honestly be really entertaining TV, and I'm sure the teams would hate each other after. But, you know, if Major League Baseball just want to embrace like a move towards the National Hockey League and allow fighting during a game, you know, it could add some entertainment, I think. I wouldn't think it's the worst thing in the world. But you're right. The premise of getting pissed off that someone just hit an absolute piss missile off your pitcher and you get all pissed off about it's like. Throw a better pitch. You can strut all you want. You can grab your nuts and walk around the mound. Okay, great. (laughs) Like. You're preaching to the choir. 
again, I'm all for fights in Major League Baseball or really anything that makes it more entertaining. But yeah, the thought process that went behind it, which is I don't like you flipping your bat when you hit a home run. Like, how are we still in the age where this is a problem? I don't know. If you haven't seen the video, just go watch it. It's hilarious. It's all over Twitter. So that'll wrap up our MLB wraparound segment. Let's get into Speak Your Mind here. Speak your mind, Spock. That would be unwise. What is necessary is never unwise. So Speak Your Mind, for those who have not tuned into the show yet, usually gets away from baseball, where TJ and I just talk about what we've been thinking about this last week. So, TJ, what's on your mind this week? Well, I'd like just to, I have some takes lined up here. In tune with the holiday, I'd like to just throw some facts out there. These aren't opinions. These are facts. When coming to your Thanksgiving meal, for us, taking place in about 48 hours, probably a little less than 48 hours from right now recording here on uh, Tuesday, the 22nd of November. If you eat cranberry sauce, you're a psycho. Oh, no. If you put marshmallows on top of your sweet potatoes, a sweet potatoes, eh, they're okay anyways, but then you put marshmallows on top of them, you should be in jail. Um, you should not be forced to eat turkey on Thanksgiving. You can eat turkey whenever you want. The bird itself is fine, but there's a reason we, you know, you like pile a bunch of like garlicky, buttery mashed potatoes and bread and gravy on top of your turkey because turkey in itself is just, eh, it's fine. So you shouldn't be forced to eat that if you don't want to. For example, my brother Jason, guess what he's making? Korean barbecue for Thanksgiving this year. I praise him for that because that sounds delicious. And Thanksgiving, you could say it's about food, but it's also about the people you eat Thanksgiving with. So you shouldn't be forced to go buy like a 25-pound turkey and cook it if you don't want to. That's my uh, That's my opinion on the foods. My second one is that the Lions should not be forced to play on Thanksgiving every year. I think it's an absolute disgrace that I'm going to have to wake up at 9 a.m. and watch the Bills beat them by 35 points and watch Josh Allen just like stomp the Lions defense. I mean, that is just going to be an absolute disgrace of a game. And I would like to call out Commissioner Goodell for forcing us to watch that slaughter while I eat breakfast. That's my rant. The Lions have won three in a row. Great. They're not winning this week. (laughs) Probably not. I'm going to have to log off here in a sec. I think all those points you made are totally valid, especially you don't have to eat turkey. Some people do ham. Some people do steak. Some people do other things. Get a good filet mignon. Oh, my God. Mm. I've never heard of the marshmallows thing. Uh, So I can't speak. I haven't done that. It's common. It's got my family has never done that. Thank God. I don't think it sounds like your has yours hasn't either. But if you just Google a picture of sweet potato casserole, that's what pops up. There are marshmallows on top of it. The reason I'm going to have to log off is cranberry sauce is like my favorite part of Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) But like cranberries suck. So why would you want to make a sauce? I I couldn't tell you why I like it so much. Yeah, I don't love cranberries as a fruit. It's got to be way down on my totem pole. But 
the Thanksgiving meal version of it. I don't know. I love it. I eat an ungodly amount of it. Well, I want to congratulate late you, Lyle. You will be spending Thanksgiving in jail. <laughs> well, Apologies, that sound much- too. It's, it's heartbreaking for you. But I hear the I hear the cranberry sauce in jail is very good, too. Listen, you got to give it a try. You got to. No. Have you had you it? Smell it? It smells awful. No, I'm not doing it. I don't think it, I don't think it smells like anything. It smells bad. That's what it smells like. It smells like something I should not eat. I think the rest of those opinions are valid. Also, yeah, if we could get a changing of the guard from the Lions on Thanksgiving every year till I don't know, the Packers on Thanksgiving every year. That'd be and better, like, to a certain right? extent. Like, yeah. Why aren't the Packers on there? Like, are you kidding me? Like, is there anything more NFL than the Packers? Not the, the Lions, their their division counterpart, who's just a joke. I'm also like would be totally OK if I didn't have to look at Jerry Jones while eating my dinner. Totally That's fair. Okay. Well, what's the what's the third game here on Thanksgiving? Oh. Frauds versus frauds. Patriots, Vikings. Yeah. Oof. NFL's lucky it's got so much leeway with fans. TJ's really in the Thanksgiving spirit, if you guys can't tell. I like to be themed. You do. Okay, so my Speak Your Mind this week is not Thanksgiving related, but because it's the final week of season one of Andor, I thought I'd bring this up. First few episodes, and keep in mind, you and I are both big Star Wars fans. We like all the movies. We like all the shows, etc., I was not sold on this show at all through the first four, five episodes. Yeah, at all. And and all these people on Twitter are talking about this is easily the best Star Wars TV or movie product they've ever put out. I'm just sitting there watching these episodes. I'm like, I don't see it. It's just kind of boring. But here we are in the final week of season one. I've done a full 180. I'm not going to say it is the best Star Wars production they've ever done. However, mm-hmm. it's really good. And I think what really makes it resonate with viewers is it's not Jedi's with just mysterious powers and these all world powers or Mandalorians who have these insane skills to shoot guns and have this ridiculous armor. Like it's just people and it's, people that had to kind of rally together to start the rebellion. And it shows that there are more parts to star Wars than just the flashy pieces. So it's been pretty cool to watch and see how it unfolds. A majority of star Wars is the 1% of the 1%. That's what it is. Jedi's clones, Mandalorians, you, you name it, Luke, Leia, etc. The 1% of the 1%, you know, all the heroes, all this, and we finally get a show that shows us the everyday person in the Star Wars universe, the everyday person and how they were a part of the whole story of of the Star Wars re- revolution and, and the rebellion and all that stuff, which I, I think it just makes it so much more interesting. And you also get a little bit attached to characters, too. And there's 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 so many layers to, for example, like Cassian Andor's character. There's so many layers there of who he is and how he his morals change around. And I think my my favorite thing about this show, it, it kind of balances the whole Star Wars world out. It shows you that the rebels aren't really great people either. They're not. And in the moral high of we don't kill people because that's not the case at all. 
Yeah. So I, I, I think it's it's a it's a fabulous show. I'm looking forward to the finale, which will air tonight. Uh, we'll watch it tomorrow, and we, me and you will discuss about that after. And I also think it's really good that the story is sort of chopped up into three episode segments. And you could kind of tell that when they release the first three at once. But they go, you know, first three, second three, third three, and now we're in the fourth three episode segment of the show. And, it, and I think it breaks it up really nicely. And I've, I've been just so pleased by the show. Anything it's been else great. on there, pal? No, it's just been great. Again, it's just you didn't know that much about Andor as a character heading into the show because he was only in one movie. But to see how he unfolds and what his role is has been really cool. We're not going to spoil it for anybody listening. There's not going to be any RIP my dog Tony Stark's on this podcast. But (laughs) RIP my dog Tony Stark. Yeah, but I would encourage anybody to watch it because it's a good show. It is a very good show. And and I challenge you now, Lyle, after we're done with this first season, go watch Andor. I watched it again on Saturday. And you you understand a lot more and the people behind it. And, it, and I think it makes it more entertaining. So we'll get Lyle's report on that in next week's episode. We thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Marine Lair podcast. You can follow us on all of our socials at Marine Lair Pod. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. You can find us across Four different podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. And again, our video version uploaded on YouTube as well. You can find our short-form TikTok, uh, uh, short-form videos on TikTok as well. We're uh, we're trying with that. It's an experiment, but we're uh, we're having some fun creating the, the short-form content. And I'll be honest, Lyle, when we record that stuff, feels a little cringy in the moment, and then you watch it, you produce it a little bit. I think it sounds really good, and I'm excited to see how that will grow as we go along. It's been good talking here on this episode. We'll talk to you next week on the Marine Layer Podcast. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards.
Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.